This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! I just got my booster. I'm boosted. All right. Yeah. Nice. This was a weird episode. Wasn't it? It was a it was strange even for a Swan's Crossing episode. One of the things that I really noted is that all of the scenes were so quick. It's really like they got a different editor for this one and I find that this happens every once in a while that there'll be an episode where they just cut back and forth between the scenes very very quickly. It's very strange. It is very strange. Uh, we should probably, before we get into it, we should probably introduce the podcast, which is Gotta Grow Up Sometime, A Swan's Crossing Retrospective, and I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. Yes, and we watched episode 30 of Swan's Crossing, which is our season three finale. Yeah, I, uh, so this was a Friday episode, Libby, yep. and, and other than the very final cliffhanger, not much happens. I don't know. Some of it was kind of compelling. Okay. All right. Let's, you know, let's talk about it. I don't think I predicted anything. Well, you did. You predicted a few things. Uh, you you said that you thought Garrett was never actually going to give the birth certificate to anyone. And you even thought potentially the birth certificate might get destroyed, though maybe not in this episode. You thought that Callie would still be searching for Barrick, that Neil and Jay... Tr- J- Neil and JT would try to figure out how to keep working without their computer. Uh You decided that uh, Owen and Mila would finally get to the studio and Sandy would finally see them after helping her mom with dinner. That did not happen. No (laughs) Owen, no Mila. Nothing. Very little Sandy. I think all we get is a voiceover. And you decided that uh, probably Jimmy would keep pursuing Callie and his interference would prevent her from finding out what Barrick was up to with his ominous white paper bag. After, this is a real letdown, after being like five for five last week. Yeah, you did good last week. This week, not so, so much. Did you, uh, did you want to talk about the thumbnail? I desperately want to talk about the thumbnail because in the shoutfactory.tv thumbnail for this episode, Sydney stands illuminated in the moonlight at the window of the of the house. She peers out across the lawn towards the booth house. No one else is in the shot. It's quite moody. <laughs> I thought this could easily be a shot from one of the Halloween or Scream movies. Like, someone is in this house, Sydney, and they're going to get you. You got to turn around before you get stabbed, Sydney. Get out of the house, Sydney. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I assumed that that stabby person would be Barrick. <laughs> well, that's a safe assumption for Obviously. sure. Well, we open in JT's bedroom where Neil is sadly feeding documents into a very noisy shredder. This is the bulkiest 90s looking shredder I've ever seen. And he's doing it one sheet at a time. (laughs) And you can just barely hear JT say over the extremely loud shredding that Professor Van may be dead, but he's getting a lot of mail. 
and he starts to open this big, thick manila envelope, but Neil stops him. And freaks right out. Just <laughs> freaks out. I think he's freaking out because the ominous synth music is playing. I'm starting to wonder <laughs> if if the characters can actually hear the music in Swan's Crossing, and that, that can actually affect them. He thinks it could be a bomb, and JT's last line before we cut away is he's holding the package out by like two fingers and he goes, oh, and you're really not very sure in that moment if he's like, oh, I'm now I'm very scared that this could be a bomb or, oh, my friend has lost it. Well, we cut over to the booth porch where Garrett asks Glory if she talked to their dad, parentheses S, dad's <laughs> When about when he's going to be ungrounded after four weeks, Garrett? That's how grounding works. Except not in this particular case. Because Glory tells him that he's free as of right now. Yeah, y'all. This is what's wrong with Garrett. People ostensibly give him consequences for his horrible actions, but no one actually holds him to those consequences. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Also, as he leaves to go into the house, he hands her very, like, almost imperceptibly hands her a pair of binoculars that we have not seen him using, and we're not sure why he has them. And I found this very upsetting. Yeah, I guess he was just, like, hanging out on the front porch spying on the neighbors with binoculars. He's creepy. Yeah, he's he's checking out that front booth or front Rutledge room that's in his... He's he's the murder person. (laughs) Somehow I knew. Somehow I knew all along it was Gary. Well, we cut over to Sydney's room where we get a bit of a flashback to the moment where Sandy said Sydney doesn't look like like a thing like her grandma. But that's all that happens in that scene. It's just Sydney. Oh, damn it. It's just Sydney sitting despondently in a rocking chair, which is a thing all hip, wealthy teens had in their bedrooms in the early 90s. She is wearing a fantastic gray businesswoman suit. While lounging. (laughs) So good. And then we cut to Captain Walker. Would you like to tell the people the glorious literary classic that Captain Walker is reading aloud to Callie? Oh yes, folks. It's the rhyme of the ancient mariner. You know, the thing that sea people like to read. And Callie looks incredibly annoyed while he's reading out loud from this book. Yet also kind of resigned, as if, like, this is a thing her dad just does, like, at least once a week, if not daily. The fair breeze blew. The white foam flew. The furrow followed free. We were the first that ever burst into that silent sea. And I believe that it is called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, not because the Mariner is in it is ancient, but because it is so long, you will feel ancient by the time it is over. I looked up this poem, and I think I have read this at some point. This is the one with the (laughs) albatross, right? Yes, yes. It's a a classic, and indeed it is excruciatingly long. Oh my gosh, it goes on forever! We get a crossfade into Callie's sort of fantasy land, into her thoughts where Jimmy is gazing stoically outside Swan's Cafe while the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner just goes on and on in her dad's voice. This is a weird fantasy sequence. The camera lingers on Jimmy for so long as the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner continues. So long. It feels like a full minute. I don't think it really was, but it feels that way. But then, dear audience, Jimmy changes positions. (laughs) 
He does. And you kind of realize that he's like on his mini bike outside Swan's Cafe. Yeah. Fortunately, after the excruciating length of time that we've been listening to this, we fade to commercial. The theme song is back. And it's the long version, which coupled with the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and the nice long shot on Jimmy made me go, oh, they really had to fill some time this episode, huh? Yeah. <laughs> also, there are now ads on Shout Factory. Did you get ads when you were watching I did it? not get ads. I got ads and I did not like them. They were very annoying. And uh, I also wonder if we did that. Did we get enough people watching Swan's Crossing that they've decided it's worth it to put advertisements on it? Uh, Mm. Yeah, I'm sure our podcast is the thing that's driving people to Shout Factory to watch Swan's Crossing. We're influencers, Nathan. (laughs) Well, we come back from the credits to the exterior of Swan's where Jimmy is indeed actually hanging out, killing time on his mini bike. So maybe that wasn't a fantasy sequence before. Uh, Garrett arrives, lets Jimmy know he's a free man. Jimmy asks if he's off the bench, and Garrett explains that he's working on finding Coach Tuna's weak spot. Because Garrett prides himself on knowing the weak spot. Like, Jimmy's his girls. Older girls. Yeah, he, he kind of, like, heavily implies some things about Sophia, and Jimmy sort of shrugs it off, and Garrett says, Watching you two last night was the best part of the dance. Ugh. So the thing Garrett enjoyed the most about the dance was watching Sophia stroke Jimmy's neck while they were dancing. Yep, apparently. Ugh, Garrett really is a creep. Jimmy is is uh, bemoaning that he's blown it with Callie. And then Garrett says, like, the worst line in this episode, which is, if there's something you want, you got to go after it. No, not stop for anything. No. Terrible No, advice. No, bud. No, 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 no. Yeah, especially that does not apply to going after potential romantic partners. You definitely stop when they say no. We cut back to JT and Neil, and JT is just losing his mind over the potential bomb package. Like, he's holding it by one corner, screaming about how he doesn't want to die, and I am delighted by all of this. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, And then Katie comes in, grabs the envelope, opens it, the guys freak out, and this is my favorite part of the episode. They go running for cover. JT literally jumps out the window, which we have established is supposed to be on the second floor. Because there's no no scenery outside of it, just a blue psych. Yeah, there's like a weird tree, but you know, but yeah, it's like the upper part of a tree. This is clearly the second story. He freaking throws himself out a window. Kitty opens up the package and is very disappointed that it's not her Muffin Meets Moonbeam story of the month. Right, it's just some dumb science stuff. So we cut over to the Rutledge Mansion, where Muffy is holding up wallpaper swatches, which is interesting because the entire place is walled with carved oak paneling. What are you going to wallpaper, Muffy? Right, like the thought of wallpapering in this room makes me actually gag. It would be overkill to say the it least. It is horrific, uh, this idea. Sydney comes in, notes that she's uh, that Muffy's humming something, and, and she it comes out that Muffy's just excited that she's destroying Grant Booth in the polls. Sydney comes and Sydney seems a bit down, goes on about how booths can be tricky and they can pull the rug right out from under you. And Muffy very helpfully advises her to do some humming. Try to, try to put herself in a better mood. And she says, uh, you have to appreciate what you have when you have it, because you never know when it might be gone. Ah. Uh-huh. Muffy says, I was never as serious as you when I was your age. And we get the pensive Sydney piano theme, the minor off-key, blah, 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 <laughs> while Sydney 
stares. Stares off into the distance. We cut over to Captain Walker, uh, who has thankfully stopped reading The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and is now doing something uh, with a compass and a map. He asks if something is bothering Callie. She doesn't answer. She's just gazing through the periscope. And then it cuts to Jimmy riding his bike on the road at night. Yeah, yeah, it is... Is she seeing him through the periscope? That's the exact question that I had. Because he's clearly on like a forested road and it's pitch black outside. It should... So how, like, what? what is Callie seeing? It, is all, it should also be noted that this setup shot of the the headlight in the darkness is used no less than four times in this episode. The same <laughs> shot. exact shot. Oh, yeah. Callie claims there's nothing wrong. She puts on her riding jacket and picks up her helmet as the phone whistle thingy goes off. And Captain Walker tells her to answer the phone if she wants to know who it is, because he doesn't. He just doesn't care. Yeah, apparently, it's it's for the captain. She hands him the phone. The captain says, Valera, you never could take no for an answer. I have one word to say to you. Nudabrunk. What, Libby? Have you done a dramaturgical deep dive into this? What is happening? I, I have. I have done a dramaturgical deep dive into this. Also, um, a friend of mine is a marine biologist, so I already knew what nudibranchs are. Okay. Should I spoil it for you or should I not? You should definitely spoil it for me because I have no... I'm assuming Valera is the countess. Yes, Valera is the countess. We established that in one of the early scenes that that's her first name, but no one has called her that for like... 15 or 20 episodes so you would be forgiven for not grokking that now i apologize for just using the word don't grok. apologize don't ever apologize for using the word grok okay i take it back i, I retract my apology i will grok in fullness valera is the countess and nudibranchs uh contrary to what will be asserted later in this episode are not snails they are in fact a type of sea worm so, uh, sea worms. Captain Walker's really into these things, apparently. Okay, why does he either A, call the Countess a sea worm, or B, reference sea worms in his conversation with her? The short answer to that is because that's what the script calls for. <laughs> Listeners, if you could see me right now, my hands are all over my face as I contemplate the, the, the like, my, it, this... This scene made my head hurt. It hurts so bad. <laughs> before before we uh, go back to whatever else is happening in Swan's Crossing, we once more see exactly the same footage of Jimmy riding his bike at night, and then we cut to commercial. Thank goodness. I just, I like, they, they had to fill so much time. They were like, oh, could we just get some more ads? Nope. <laughs> nope, we cannot get more ads. Nobody wants to advertise on this show. When we're back, Katie wants to know what JT and, JT and Neil were doing, and she asks if they were playing hide-and-seek. She says she wants to play too, and Neil says, too bad, game's over, and Katie gets mad. Yeah, uh, she uh, she guesses that they thought it was a bomb in the letter, and she calls them dum-dums before she leaves. It's my favorite. <laughs> she sort of drops the, the, um, the package on the way, and uh, JT and Neil check out what's actually in the letter, but before they can really get into it, the phone rings... And JT answers it by singing, -na -na -na, and then Neil snaps twice, and JT says, the Adams family, isn't that clever? Neil promised that he would be home 10 minutes ago, and JT lies for Neil and says that he's already left. Then he pulls out, JT pulls out his weird-ass 
play mobile phone, which is very obviously like a walkie talkie that has been converted to appear to be a mobile phone. The 90s were a weird time, everybody. And dials Neil's beeper. The beeper does not go off. Oh, mysterious. They try again. Still nothing. And now Neil realizes someone has tampered with his beeper. So they get all quiet. They scamper around the room a lot. And I'm not sure what they're supposed to be doing. Neil disassembles his beeper well, and finds a bug JT in it. is turning the radio on. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Just to drive home the point that the thing he found inside the beeper is a bug, he grabs a notebook and writes in huge letters that can be seen by a studio camera, it's a bug! I, I should, well, to be fair, the, the entire inside of the pager is just electronics, and you could be forgiven for not knowing that one of the electronics was a bug and, the, and was not actual, just other beeper parts. So they uh, set the bug up across the room and blast We Will Rock You on JT's cool early 90s CD playing Tower. Um, Libby, how did they get the rights for this song? They paid for it. This is where they, this show put all its budget into occasionally licensing music. I cannot, I, like, it started up and I was like, how did this happen? I know, man. I know. It doesn't make sense. And then, dear friends. Yeah. We cut to a split screen of the Baldies and the FBI guys as they're both pulling listening devices out of their ears. Are they sharing the same bug, Libby? Apparently they are. What? I mean, that's the conclusion we have to draw here. The Baldies and the Feds have both bugged Neil's beeper. But they're using the same one! I know how, what the logistics of this, I cannot begin to understand what is happening here. It is very confusing. Uh, The Baldy keeps repeating the same nonsense words over and over. The FBI guys realize that the kids have discovered the bug, and then he goes... Oh, queen. At least our subjects have taste. And then he puts his earphones back in and continues listening to Queen. Jeez Louise. <laughs> well, we cut to the outside of the tool and die where Callie pulls on up on her bike. It's lit like it's night, so I think those earlier shots of Jimmy were in real time. Like, like I don't think Callie was imagining seeing him on the road. I think she literally saw him through the periscope. I am so confused. That's just so creepy. It's very weird. I don't like it. Barrett comes out of the shop just as Callie pulls up with his white paper bag under one arm. He uh, he tells her, he asks if she can't sleep because her mind is on some something or someone else. And he says he just let Jimmy go because Jimmy was having the same problem. And that, that seems to get a little smile out of her. She seems pleased that Jimmy is disturbed. Because Barrett kind of points at her as he says it, as if to say he, he's thinking about you and that's why he can't get any work done. Right, and as he points at her... She sees the bag and asks if it's more ice cream. Yes, and he's like, oh, it's my weakness. And then she tries to trick him by saying, oh, my brakes haven't been doing too great lately. Do you want to take a look at them? And so he kind of crouches down to look at her brakes. And she says, oh, I'll hold your bag for you while you do it. It's the most and he gets all- like obvious attempt <laughs> to get him to yeah. hand over this bag. Yeah, but then Barrick, who's supposedly some great undercover agent, gets all obviously shifty. And he's like, well, I just saw you, saw you stop short a second ago. Your brakes are fine. Dude, he's not good at being undercover. Like, if he were smart, he would have just casually declined her offer to hold it back. Like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> you know? What the fuck, Barrett? Come on. Oh, my gosh. Fortunately, we cut back to Muffy, who has plastered wallpaper samples all over the wall in the Rutledge home. 
Can you explain what happens next? Well, I mean, I'll try. <laughs> so Muffy and Sydney begin ripping these little sort of swatches of wallpaper off of this sheet of plywood that Muffy has stuck up near the wall to test her wallpaper choices. Uh, and every time they rip off of a sheet, they make some dreadful pun about the booths that has something to do with, like, we'll tear them apart, and they tear off a sheet of wallpaper. We'll rip into their poll numbers, or, you know, whatever. It's it's ridiculous. And then, for no reason at all, Muffy starts singing the Marlene and Dietrich song, Falling in Love Again. Falling in love again, never wanted to. What am I to do? I can't help it. Thinking about Grant Booth has made her start falling in love again. It is so awkward. So there is no reason for this to happen. And then we find out from Muffy that when she was younger, she wanted to be a singer, which is received by Sydney with a fair degree of alarm. Yes. And then, and then Muffy says, I've always wished you'd be able to do the things I didn't get a chance to, but you'll just do what's in your blood. And Sydney just turns around and wanders over to the window where she falls into another dreadful reverie, staring out, and she sees the Fabian shade on Glory's window staring back at her. As the deep piano chords sound in the background. Well, we go to commercial. When we come back, Jimmy has arrived at the sub. He climbs up and knocks on the hatch with a wrench, which he pulls out of his pocket, because, you know, he's a gearhead. Right. Captain Walker screams from within, go away, you're going to wind up on the business end of a torpedo. Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy bolts back to the bike. The captain pops the hatch and peers out, asking uh, of if Valera can't take yes for an answer either. He sees, he sees the bike speeding away from the sub and just sort of shrugs. He's like, whatever. Whatever. Next, we get a shot of Callie riding through the dark streets, just like the previous shots of Jimmy riding through the dark streets. They really made the most out of this filming bike riders at night thing yeah, for this episode. they really did. I love this scene because Callie pulls up right at the edge of the, the front porch of the Booth Mansion. <laughs> Garrett comes out the front door with a hammer. I hope he's not going to murder her with it. And uh, he asks her where Jimmy is. She's like, it's not my day to watch him. They exchange some snarky badinage. And then Callie makes ready to ride away again why did she come here first of all very good question uh secondly badinage thank you <laughs> i i i legitimately think that is a new word to me it i is. think you have given me a new word today and for that libby i am grateful my work here is done. badinage <laughs> Uh, just before callie rides off screen garrett says i hope you find what you're looking for and callie rejoins not sure I should say the same to you. <laughs> right? What are you doing with that with that hammer? Right, that's all weird. Yikes. We cut to Sydney at the wall in no man's land. She carry she's carrying a flower, unexplained and undealt with. I think unexplained and undealt with might have to be the title for this episode. <laughs> It sums everything up so perfectly. It really does. Uh, a large stone rolls out of the wall, almost hitting her, and Garrett is on the opposite side. Yes, and she asks him what he wants, but before we hear his answer, we cut back to JT and Neil, who have set the bug on a metal stool. They start feeding it like a fake conversation, having this staged chat about how they've made a giant leap forward for the global scientific community. 
And then JT just beats the shit out of it with a baseball bat. Causing the FBI and Baldy guys to jump out of their chairs. Well, now that the bug has been dealt with, we see what was in the package that was mailed to Professor Van. Neil pulls it out. It's a couple of rocks. They look very specifically like quartz crystals. They certainly do. Uh, Although he calls them Utranium Alloy. And I'm guessing... Yeah, go ahead. Utranium Alloy. I just had to say it again because it's just... It's so good. I'm guessing these are supposed to be radioactive minerals, so I'm not sure why he's handling them just with his bare hands or why they were sent through USPS. But the great news is that the the arrival of this alloys need, means they only need one more element before they're going to be able to test UB2B. So there's Oh, so, so close they can taste it. They celebrate with a big extravagant secret handshake. So beautiful. And then they decide that they can't take any more chances. They got to shred all the notes. Yes. They're, they're being spied on, so they just have to destroy everything and just rely on what is in Neil's head. JT says, just make sure nothing happens to you, Neil. Neil says, it's out of my hands. And then what do we see, Nathan? We crossfade to glory and the poetry book. Is the poetry book a code for you, you be to me? Yes. It is a secret. It's... It's not really poetry that JT wrote. He just told Glory that. It's UB2B. Are you kidding me? Secret code words. Yeah, now does it, now, retroactively, 30 episodes into this show, almost 50% of the way through, now does it make sense why the fucking poetry notebook never stops being brought up? No. <laughs> That is an extremely long con with a very bad low payoff. It's going to get longer, my friend. Oh my it's going to get longer. So uh, Glory sets the notebook aside. She romantically moons over JT for a while, goes to her window, raises the Fabian shade a little, and parts the curtain so she can lean out to look at the terribly romantic night. It is a terribly romantic night out there. The lighting for this is just gorgeous. It is. And the camera slowly pulls back to show that a baldy is lurking in the bushes outside her window. And talking into a radio. Freeze frame roll credits! So intense. I mean, this was kind of a short episode for our show, but it is the end of season three for us, which means we're not going to be back until, like, I think mid-February. Now, by by the time our listeners hear this, will they have heard your fanfic Swans Crossing Christmas special. Yes, they will. And I hope you all enjoy it. I hope I enjoy it. I mean, as we record this, dear listeners, I have not, I have no idea what Libby is cooking up. I haven't, as we record this, I have not written it yet. I'm going to write it and record it like a couple days before Christmas. (laughs) I mean, why not? It's kind of packed, so I'm just going to take a day to write whatever weird festive Swans Crossing nonsense comes into my head, record it, and blast it out into the ether, because that's how we roll on this show. Yep. Not a lot of <laughs> not a lot of what one would call editing, as evidenced by the fact that you left all that stuff with my dog in that last episode. Listen, it was funny. What? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like our listeners needed to know that River requires her food heated and mixed with dry food, and that she will be fed when she says. I, I literally, I, was, I am one of our 17 listeners, so we really only have 16. And um, I just, I was like, oh my gosh, did she, she didn't cut any of these. Okay. 
Because River interrupts that episode like four times. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> well, uh, I have good news. We have one new fake swan, one new oh. imaginary swan, bringing our total count to, and I've, I've, I finally, I think, have caught up in my numbers. Four imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, 86 other swans. This is wow. episode 30, folks. That averages out. That is roughly 2.8666 repeating swans per episode. Wow. You know, also, one of the swatches of wallpaper that Muffy was examining was covered in swan print. But I don't think we should count that because that's like a lot of swans. And it's I, I, you know what? Here's what we'll do. I'll give that one. I will give that okay. one uh, fake swan. I think that's fair. Okay. Uh, who, who would you say was our psychopath of the week? Uh, good question. Good question. Good question. Probably Garrett because of the stupid, like, just keep going after her, even if she says no shenanigans. Yeah. Plus, what was he doing with those binoculars? Yeah. Yeah. I will also say Captain Walker really gives us a run for our money this month between the the, <laughs> the lengthy poetry recitation and his ongoing feud with the Countess. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe we should consider... Well, no, I still think Garrett was more psycho yeah. than Captain Walker was in this episode, Absolutely. for sure. Well, uh, what are your predictions for for next, for the opening of season four? Well, here's what I think is going to happen. We're not going to get anything dealing with the Baldies and the FBI guys. That is just going to be left to dangle and dangle for a good long time. Uh, we'll come back to Mila and Owen finally working it'll be like a mila owen sandy episode we i still don't think garrett is actually going to give the birth certificate to anybody although it is still going to be bothering oh wait we, that's we sort of left them at no man's land so that's probably what they're going to work out in the next episode is what happens with the birth certificate and uh maybe maybe in the next episode no, no, we talked about politics in this one, so we're not going to get any politics in the next one. Um, I was I was thinking maybe Grant would start to turn the race around, but I don't think that's going to happen next episode. And oh God, I don't think we get anything with Katie. Uh, I think we probably get a little bit more of JT and Neil shredding documents. And I just, I don't have any good ideas about what's going to happen next. This is bad. Let me jog your memory Thank a little. You. Do what do you think, if anything, might come of that last scene where there's a baldy hiding in the bushes outside Glory's window? See, that's what. Okay, I don't think anything is going to come of that. I really don't. But let's let's say for a moment that something were to happen. I think we get a, a shot in darkness of the baldy like crawling up the lattice or the tree or whatever into Glory's room sneaking across the darkened room and taking the poetry notebook off of the bed, the nightstand. And then, then the guys really freak out because someone has stolen the UB2B formula, which makes no sense because why, first of all, why is Glory under surveillance? Secondly, how could anyone possibly decipher the garbage poetry as being a formula for anything? Hey, come on. That's some good stuff. <laughs> this show is hot trash. 
I love it too. I can't get enough of it. It's going to be a long few weeks until we return, but we will be back mid-February with season four of Gotta Grow Up Sometime. And we hope you all have a wonderful break until then. Thank you, Richard <laughs> Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime from the show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, where I uh, just recently posted a, a beautiful video of Sandy's greatest hits, where she is sick of everyone's shit, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. And until we can see one another again, may none of your packages be laced with radioactive elements. Yeah, especially not your packages, if you know what I mean. <laughs> 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 Everybody has a weakness towards girls. Girls who are uh, older than you. Girls who are tougher than you. Get out of here. Watching you two last night was the best part of the dance.